I'm so glad you're joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers on the Tupac Murder Arrest. We are talking about Tupac, his music legacy, of course, that can never be ignored or forgotten. But we're also talking about this arrest after 27 years of a suspect in his murder on the Las Vegas Strip so, so long ago. Why did it take so long? Is this the right guy? One investigator says, you know what? This guy talked his way right into a jail cell because he was basically self-snitching over the years. We're going to find out all about this. We're also going to talk about the case itself. We've got an amazing panel to break this all down from a variety of different aspects. Joining me is Mark Elbert. He's a freelance journalist. He's written for Complex, Billboard, GQ, and Vibe. Mark, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me, Lisa. We really appreciate it. Also with us is Joel Anderson. He's a writer and podcast host uh, with Slate. You probably heard his Slow Burn Biggie and Tupac uh, podcast. And if you haven't, I highly recommend it. Joel, great to have you with us on the show. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Also with us is Charles Tucker Jr. He's a criminal defense attorney and civil rights attorney and partner with the Cochran Firm in Hyattsville, Maryland. Charles, thank you so much for being with us on this. Pleasure to be with you, Lisa. Charles, I want to start with you on this. From your vantage point, when they announced that uh, Dwayne Keefe D. Davis had been arrested after all this time, what was your reaction? Well, it took them so long. Uh, But again, as uh, I think you said uh, from the record, this individual was on their radar for for a while. Uh, And I think from a prosecutorial standpoint, they wanted to make sure that they could meet the legal standard beyond a reasonable doubt. But there's tons and tons of information out there by his own admission of his involvement in this uh, crime. So uh, I guess at some point it reached uh, a limit that they felt they had enough to move forward with an arrest. Like a, t- a tipping point. Mark, what did this mean for, for people in the hip hop community? Because you're talking with artists all the time. You're, you're talking with other people in the in the hip hop media, especially here in New York, what was the reaction? Um, it's it's surprising. You're having a lot of um, answers being addressed. Um, you're seeing a lot of interest because this is something that happened 30 years ago, nearly 30 years ago. And, you know, the, the generation that's coming up now aren't really too familiar with that era. So they're hearing about this guy that might have killed Tupac. And it's like, all right, there's a whole new renewed interest in it so you're just seeing a whole lot of just people talking about it trying to see what really went down what people are saying what police are saying what different outlets are saying and then you're also seeing a comparison of the two generations like how did they cover it back then and then how are they covering it now so it's a real interesting time no definitely you you mentioned the two generations the joel you in your slow bird podcast uh tupac and biggie you went, You interviewed a lot of the investigators. What was your personal reaction when you heard about this happening last week? Um, that it sort of seemed inevitable. Um, uh, you know, to, to Charles's point, that the guy that has been involved, we don't, we don't, people don't believe that he's a shooter, but that he was with the people that shot Tupac that evening. Uh, he's pretty much made himself a celebrity uh, by, by admitting to his involvement in in this crime. So um, it sort of seemed like we were always going to end up here. It was just a matter of when. Um, and it really, I think the thing that really sort of struck me is when I was working on the podcast back in 2019, this is the same year that uh, KPD releases his book, Compton Street Legend. Um, I reached out to the Las Vegas Police Department trying to get information, trying to get documents related to it. And they said, oh, no, this is actually an open uh, case. Like, this is a, 
an active investigation. Now, I don't, I can't speak to how much work they were doing on it in 2019. Yeah, right. yeah how, how active it really was, right? Right. And it may have been that they just didn't want to give me any documents, which, you know, whatever. But um, it, should, it, it certainly speaks to the idea that they've had their eyes on this case for quite a while. And it was something that was sort of always out there that there was a potential to solve. Um, and so, you know, maybe they felt like, like Charles said, that they finally got enough evidence uh, and probably met the standard to what they think could get them a, convic- a conviction in court. Charles, talking about the evidence, and guys, please feel free to jump in. This was in the late 1990s, a big difference uh, then compared to now in terms of what investigators might have, right, to work with? That is correct. Uh, they're going to have to cipher through everything, all the information that's out there but then rely on information that they believe is going to be credible in the eyes of a jury, right? Because it's one thing to put arrest someone. The next phase, obviously, is to get the conviction uh, and be have enough to move forward uh, under the prosecutorial grounds that, that are required. But what about right. in terms of technology? Because you, there was no, you know, the people didn't have camera phones. People didn't have, uh, there, there were uh, video cameras, traffic cameras all along. On various various points, it wasn't metadata to take from cell phones to place people in different places at different times. Uh, Joel, do you think that place that, that made it tougher for investigators back then? Well, yeah, I mean, the Vegas police has had a lot of forensic evidence, uh, you know, even in the, the the minutes after the shooting. So, yeah, it stands the reason that there's a lot more uh, advancement in the forensic tools available to them that they would be able to use that in ways that they didn't. And also, just on a basic level, like there's so much more there have been so many more revelations related to this case in the last 15 20 years right the, the people that have talked that would not have talked in 1998 people that talked in 20 2008 so they have a lot more information uh and then the information that they have and the evidence that they do have they can do a lot more with it so it actually makes sense right and then in in terms of this in terms of this arrest that happened with with kpd he describes himself as a gangster he'd actually put the prosecutors say that he bought he, he bought the gun for the alleged shooter who's i'm going to say alleged because he's passed away and was never convicted his nephew orlando anderson and that he's bragging about this he's on vlad tv he's on all these different social media things kind of basically almost sounding as if he's proud that he did it yeah he tried to yeah he he he, he tried to get clout off of it allegedly i don't want to say that's what he did but that's what it looks like and he tried to you know make a name for himself off of a heinous murder when everybody's trying to figure out what's going on. You know, somebody that was very impactful to black culture and the world itself was taken out and you're over here just talking and saying, yeah, this is what happened. I was in the car, whatever the case may be. And it's just like, it's kind of, it's kind of corny. You know, you're calling yourself a gangster. And if you're from that world, you know what they are and what he's doing is not what that is. It's like what's going on here. Right. And I, I agree with you, Mark, that I, I definitely think clout was a piece of it. But I also think that was another thing. So I actually briefly talked to Keefe D in 2019, um, tried to get him to talk for the podcast. He wouldn't do it. He said he was having cancer. He said he had cancer. And so I was actually thinking, given the interviews he's done and with the outlets he's done them with, um, I kind of wonder if he needed money. Um, that if he, you know, he was in a position to where he had to, you know, I have this piece of information. <laughs> I I have cancer treatments um, and I got to figure out a way to do it. And this is the dude who's been a hustler his entire life, his entire adult life. So um, I also think that may have played a role in it. And, and, and I don't, you know, obviously keeping the smart dude, like he able, had a 
you know, he was a drug kingpin, you know, back in the 80s and 90s. So, like, you know, right. those people don't usually succeed in that business, right? Or, uh, or live that long or live to six. Yeah, or, or, or live that long in it. But also, I'm not sure that he was quite as familiar with the le- with, with the legal implications of a lot of this stuff. Plus, because the way he was talking, and I don't know about, you know, you all, I'm like, oh, there must, the, the statute of limitations must be up or something. You know, <laughs> it's like a, he must know something about the law that we don't. Exactly. Was familiar with. So. Well, we're going to talk about that with, and then get attorney uh, Charles Tucker's point of view on that as well, because uh, the investigators say he thought he had immunity and uh, that he could just go out and basically admit to anything. We're going to find out about that when we come back. This is Three Soldiers. Uh, we're talking about the Tupac Shakur murder, the, the arrest in this case after 27 years. Uh, we'll be back right after this. Hey, what up, y'all? This is Lloyd, the King of Hearts, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people only on Hot 9-7. You dig? Welcome back to this episode of Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We're talking about a murder arrest in the case of Tupac Shakur's murder 27 years ago. we got a great panel to break this all down from all different angles for us. Mark Ellibert is with us. He's a freelance journalist. You've uh, seen his work in Complex, on Billboard, in Billboard, um, also GQ, Vibe, a lot of publications. Mark, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me, Lisa. We appreciate it. Also with us is Joel Anderson. He's a writer and podcast host. Um, he, he is the podcast host of the Slow Bird, Biggie, and Tupac podcast. And if you want to hear a lot of information about this and also a lot of principal players in their own words, I really strongly recommend that you check check it out, Joel. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thank you, Lisa. Appreciate it. We really appreciate it. Uh, also, with us is Attorney uh, Charles Tucker Jr. He's a criminal defense attorney, former prosecutor, as well as a human uh, human rights and civil rights attorney, and partner with the Cochran Firm in Hyattsville, Maryland. Char- uh, Charles, thank you so much for being with us. Pleasure to be here. Thank you, Lisa. We appreciate it. Charles. There was um, Keefe D was arrested. This is the suspect who was who was arrested on murder with a weapon uh, charge uh, recently for the murder of Tupac Shakur. He was arrested on something else earlier, and that he had basically what was called what what is said to be a proffer agreement, which he misunderstood to be an immunity deal. What's what is the difference? Well. The- the different the difference is very significant for him. In one instance, if the agreement is in place and all of the ironclad pieces of the agreement are uh, solidified, uh, as long as he doesn't run afoul of the agreement, uh, it would immune him from certain prosecutions that are related to that particular agreement. But in this instance, what he misunderstood that he was, you know. He, he was safe to go ahead and run his mouth on this uh, based on this prior agreement when it, it wasn't so ironclad. And uh, what he doesn't understand or he didn't, sounds like he didn't have a proper counsel to kind of verify that what he's doing could run afoul uh, and lead him to or he open him up to be arrested uh, on these charges. And not only was he uh, charged with the murder charge, but he also was charged with an enhancement, which carried in and of itself carries an additional 20 years. Wow. So so he 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 thought a proper agreement, which was specific to that particular case, gave him immunity for anything else he might have done. Yes, that that seems to be his interpretation uh, and thus gave him the ability to continue to talk about something that he 
possibly was involved in. Um, but again, these are direct admissions from him that clearly left right. him open to the arrest and, and prosecution. Right. And keep in mind, I mean, so he got interviewed for this around 2007, uh, the first time by Detective Greg Kading, uh, when LAPD reopened their investigation into Biggie's murder, actually, right? Like, this is where a TVD becomes a central player in this case. He did an extremely long interview with Greg Kading and the LAPD without legal counsel. So this is not a dude who's been leaning on Chinese, you know, throughout. Like, he's, he's been kind of go- flying by the seat of his pants this whole time. So, um, yeah, I mean, to, to his point, it makes sense that he misunderstood what happened because he's just not been getting the, the legal counsel and advice that he probably should have been getting. Now, I'm not saying he hasn't had it since then, but right. this all started because he did not, he, he, I think he had a little bit more confidence uh, in, 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 in what he said to the police not getting out, not being able to apply to him in other instances that they probably should merit. So. No, exactly. Mark, what about it in terms of how people looked at this that were not alive when Tupac was, you know, when he was alive? Yeah, like I said before, it's bringing a renewed interest into Tupac the rapper and Tupac the person. Um, you know, when when it happened, I was five years old. I'm 32 now. And just to see how like hip hop has transitioned over the years, you know, a lot of people for who for who Tupac was culturally, people still know who he is. But in the musical sense, it kind of like faded out. And now this has happened. You're seeing people tapping into his music more. You're seeing people know who he was as a rapper when he first came in with um, Digital Underground and all that other stuff. And then now with what's going on in hip hop now with all these rappers that are dying and you know some of these cases being open and whatnot, you have people questioning now, all right, yeah, I found this person was going on with this case now. Because there's so many that has happened that, you know, some people are like, oh, what's going on? Who shot this person? Who did that? So, again, like like I said, it's just an interesting time. And, you know, if 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 people are taking that energy and harnessing it the right way, I feel like we could get those answers. But then again, it's like we don't really know what's going on because it took these people 30 years to get it done. And it's like this guy has been talking for so long. Why did it take you all this long to? do something with it you well, know right. yeah, and go ahead joel no I, th- I also think it helped and you guys t- you know you, you feel free to inject here but i mean this is the 50th anniversary of hip-hop this year so right. in new york so there's the interest around that tupac got his star on the hollywood walk of fame just in gym yeah right? the, the 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 search warrant was executed in july i'm not saying that the police were paying attention to the news but like right. It all sort of adds up. It's like, okay, oh, wait, what about that case? You know, uh, and also, I would also, you know, there was a Dear Mama TV series on FX about Tupac and his mother, uh, the black, former Black Panther, Fanny Shakur, just in April. So there's been a lot of, like, mm-hmm. in the ether about right. Tupac just this year. So it kind of makes sense that, like, this would be the year that people would try to get some resolution uh, in the criminal aspect of this, this case. Charles, take us back to, to 1996, though, too. I mean, here is a, here's a young Black man He's a murder victim. He said criminal justice and previous criminal justice involvement. Hip hop was looked at in a very different way than it is today, where it's the top or one of the top streaming music genres in the world. And then also you have you throw in there the whole high profile nature of Las Vegas that depends on tourism, that depends on people feeling safe, that they can drink and party and spend money. What do you think those factors played a role? You've you've dealt with a lot of high profile cases and and with the media too. But 
what about that? That that like, oh, this is this this young guy. He's a, he's a criminal. The way they saw it, and why why really make a big deal about it? Right. Well, you got to look at it from that backdrop that you pointed out. Right. Back in the late 1990s, you know, the rappers were, you know, in some regard, looking at our history, they were targeted uh, by by some aspects of law enforcement. You know, New York City is well documented how they would target rappers looking into it. So they was kind of seen as a pariah, so to speak, but that's that industry's problem. Why donate our resources to make this an issue? You know, that, you know, this history or whether factual or, 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 or fiction of whether or not, you know, the police and, and the lack thereof of the resources were actually going to be expounded for these plots. Right. And they seen it as this East Coast, West Coast battle. And quite honestly, it didn't seem like law enforcement wanted to be, you know, tied into that. Um, and that didn't give a push to get these matters solved. You know, looking back now, the obviously look, it's a scene in a whole different light. You know, this rap uh, industry has ballooned within itself to this billion dollar business. Uh, and the industry has spewed over to you know, outside our community. And quite honestly, now you have different motivations to, again, hold people accountable for such a notable and noticeable crime. No, absolutely. Joel, what about the, the, you know, from the beginning too, and then of course this arrest has resuscitated some of the rumors and some of the famous names that have been uh, thrown into this. I mean, Suge Knight was driving the BMW that that Tupac was in when he was shot and killed. Then of course, you know, months later, Biggie Biggie is killed, and that p- people are throwing Diddy's name in there. What what can you tell us that you found from from your research for your podcast about that? Well, I mean, there's obviously a lot of theories about how everything went down in Vegas, and then a few months later in LA when Biggie gets killed. But uh, you know, this is uncomfortable to talk about, but it's probably the sort of thing that's going to come up in court. Uh, what actually gets started here? is that Keith PD in his uh, interview with the LAPD back in 2007 and 2008, alleges that it was Puffy, you know, the guy we know is Diddy, who hired him and some Southside Crips to kill Suge and Tupac for a million dollars. Like, that's where all of this starts, right? And what Keefe has said is that after he killed, or, or after the people in the car killed Tupac, that Puffy calls him not so long later and is like, hey, was that us, right? So that people are going to have to grapple with that accusation as a part of this. Like, I mean, I, and it's important to note here that Diddy just said he had nothing to do with that, you know, denies that. And there's a lot of questions about KPD's credibility in this as well. But that is a central part of, 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 of the accusation here that it got started in part because of what people called the East Coast, West Coast rap beef back in the 90s. And the puppy was so, so distressed, so worried about the encroaching threat of death row and its artist Suge and Tupac that he was willing to go hire some Crips to go kill them. And then they get involved and then, right. And then you, you got the TVD on the Crips side, you got Suge on the blood side and, you know, p- people add up to it in there. Uh, we'll be back right after this. Yeah, yeah, what up, what up, what up? This is Styles Peter Ghost and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers, real issues, real politics, and real people, only on Hot 97. Yeah, Ghost told you so. Welcome back to this episode of Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We're talking about the arrest and the murder of Tupac. 
joining us for this conversation. Mark Ellibert, he's a freelance journalist. You've seen his work in Complex, Billboard, GQ, and Vibe. Also with us is Joel Anderson. He's a writer and podcast host with Slate. His pod, his podcast, uh, one of them that you really need to listen to if you're fascinated by this topic, as of course I am and so many other people are, is the Slow Burn Biggie and Tupac podcast. Um, and also with us is Charles Tucker Jr. He's a criminal defense attorney, civil rights attorney, and partner with the Cochran Law Firm in Hyattsville, Maryland. Thank you all for being for being with us. Uh, Mark, Mark, what about the the, the feeling? You know, because also too, at the end of the day, there's you know the the investigators in Las Vegas, the prosecutors and the police brought up. Well, you know what? It was really basically that Tupac was shot because he allegedly beat up somebody in the hotel in a hotel that afternoon. And that this was just straight up gang retaliation. Like we're going to go get him. He beat down our guy. We're going to go get. Now we're now we're going to get him. How fascinated are people in the these theories? They are because you know, as what was stated earlier, there's a whole lot that's going to be coming up now with these accusations from Diddy. Um, Shug just said he wasn't going to testify, and that's kind of raising questions like, why aren't you testifying if you know you almost died in that car as well? Right. And um, and just a whole bunch of other just stuff that's floating around right now. And again, it's 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 making people want to look into this case even more. And this is hip hop 50. And, you know, me personally, I find it very weird that this all this is happening now in hip hop 50. But that's another conversation. But um, well, no, no, let's put it in this conversation because this is, you know, this, this whole year is hip hop 50. What, what do you find weird about it? For somebody that was talking this much, I think he started in 2007, as you said, for it to finally come now on hip hop's 50th birthday when everybody's celebrating hip hop. We just had the big hip hop concert at Yankee Stadium on um, so many activations that's going on. And then it's like, boom, we get hit with this now. And it's like, why is this happening right now when we're supposed to be celebrating the culture and all this other stuff? You know what I mean? Why are we getting hit with this? With this, not negativity, but this is kind of a downer. It's like, damn, all right, we're getting close to figuring out who killed Pac. But then we're also remembering what we missed in Pac. You know, we're still trying to figure out who killed Biggie because he's tied into this as well. So that's a whole nother uh, Pandora's box that's about to open. So I don't want to say it's like, you know, coming from the editorial side, it's like, is this a promo stunt? Is this like a... You know what I mean? Oh wow! Oh my gosh! Well, let me let's let's give Joel thoughts to this. And Joel, I I interviewed Greg, I've interviewed Greg uh, Kading a number number of times, and recently right after the arrest for for Fox Five News, and I, he's I, I asked him this the point to, to Mark's point that he just brought you know brought up. It's like this guy was running his mouth so so much for the code this the alleged street code of no snitching. This guy been running it running his mouth for like years. And the Kading said, well, I think they were just waiting for him to give enough evidence, you know, to, to give them enough so that they could really take it to the grand jury and and get a conviction. And, and also keep in mind, too, that the there were four people in that, that car that did the drive by and the, the other three are all dead. He's like the last man standing. What do you think about that analysis by Kading, Joel? No, I mean, I think that's pretty much right. I do, I do Again, I, I do take seriously the idea that, that you know, KPD was suffering from cancer at one point. Uh, so I do think that, like, he needed money. I also thought that, you know, when I talked to KPD at the time, I think he thought that he was going to die. That I don't think he thought he was going to survive cancer. And so that maybe he would never be alive to even, 
you know, uh, suffer the consequences of a criminal trial. Because he's like, well, I'm not, I'm not going to be here anyway. It was something that he made sure to tell me and other people that he interviewed around that time, right? Um, so I think that that's, yeah, I mean, I think I think Greg's theory is correct that the, poli- that the police, you know, were just kind of waiting for him to tie his own noose in a, in a manner of speaking. But um, I also think that KPD had a lot of other competing concerns in addition for clout, in addition to being the dude. Because, I mean, even though we are talking about snitching or whatever, and I, I hate to say it like this, but among certain folks, it's kind of cool that you were the dude that killed Tupac. You know what I mean? Like, there are people... <laughs> For, right, like the word no, even this is a trophy, yeah, them, right. Um, and it gives him some street credibility in a way that people may be over willing to overlook the fact that he was talking it up. Uh, and you know, I mean, and I mean, again, he didn't, he hasn't specifically said who shot, like, there's a lot of question about who shot. Like, I mean, you know, KPD right. has sort of implicated his nephew Orlando Anderson, but he, said he handed, according to the prosecutors, he said he handed the gun, uh, to, to, Orla- to Orlando. Right, but there's a guy that there's a guy that testified at the grand jury hearing that said that DeAndre Smith, the other guy who was sitting in the backseat, the guy who was like six foot six, three hundred and seventy four hundred pounds, something right. like that, there was a shooter. Right, so there's still some questions about who was the who was the person there. So we don't. PPD is not a reliable witness. That's exactly. What I'm trying to say. Right. Charles, what kind what kind of evidence are, what kind of evidence are they really going to need to get a conviction against him? Be the, the th- normally you would think okay the other there would be alleged co-conspirators, but the other three in this are, are dead. What do you, and also now that this is generating as, as all of you have spoken to so much, so much attention and kind of opened things up on a whole bunch of different levels. What do you think happens? I mean, he's arraigned and then does he, if he takes a plea or if he takes a, um, you know, goes, goes to trial, what, which, what, what are some of the different ways that this can go? Right. Well, if he has, you know, valid counsel, they're going to try to suppress some of those uh, statements that are out there, right? Um, good luck with that because these are, you know, admissions, you know, statements clearly made voluntarily. But you no, know, as a defense attorney, you have an obligation to, you know, provide your your client with the best defense available. So I'm sure there's ways to kind of pivot some of the statements made and. Yeah, you know, whether or not it, it should be reliable and whether or not it should be uh, suppressed or not. Uh, from the prosecution standpoint, they got to look at uh, crit- uh, what our colleague just stated in regards to this statement, whether or not uh, that statement could be reliable evidence and whether or not, uh, you know, we could use that in, in under the standard beyond reasonable doubt. Uh, but. I do believe with all the information that's out there, the fact that grand jury moved forward and they were able to put together based on the current, you know, our points, all of the evidence that exists now, they can kind of piece together a valid case against them. And I think a plea is probably going to be uh, coming forward in the in the near future. All right. And Charles, I'll go ahead. Go ahead. And, Charles, and Charles, yeah, I mean, you know, as an attorney, we can talk about this. I mean, um, you know, just because... They have all the evidence. If it goes to jury trial, there's no none of this might matter, right? It may just be like that dude seemed guilty. He might go to prison, or it'd be like, eh, I don't know. I'll just so it doesn't like if it even gets that far. There's no telling sure. if, if any of the stuff will even matter anyway, right? So agreed. But in in the real sense, right? Most of the time we have, oh, this person said something. This person said something. In this instance, you have 
you know, the accused making statements, you know, this happened, I did this, I did that, you know, whether or not a, a jury's going to believe that he's innocent, you know, begs the question. Their own words. So in this instance, they don't have to rely on me as a prosecutor. I wouldn't have to, you know, for the lack of, of, of other witnesses, I would just focus on the most reliable witness, him, the accused, out of his own mouth. And then the repeat, the repetition of all the, the admissions. All right, we're going to take a short break. This is Three Soldiers. We're talking about the arrest of a murder suspect in Tupac's murder. We'll be back right after this. Yo, what up? This your homie Ace Hood, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real poly tricks, and real people only on Hot 97. Welcome back to this episode of Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We're talking about the arrest and the murder of Tupac. Joining us for this conversation, Mark Ellibert. He's a freelance journalist. You've seen his work in Complex, Billboard, GQ, and Vibe. Also with us is Joel Anderson. He's a writer and podcast host with Slate. His pod, his podcast, uh, one of them that you really need to listen to if you're fascinated by this topic, as of course I am and so many other people are, is the Slow Burn Biggie and Tupac podcast. Um, and also with us is Charles Tucker Jr. He's a criminal defense attorney, civil rights attorney, and partner with the Cochran Law Firm in Hyattsville, Maryland. Thank you all for being for being with us. Mark, in terms of the in terms of the just the players in this, like Tupac is kind of frozen in time in his twenties. And he a lot, you know, he's got the things that are still very popular part of hip hop culture now. He's got the tats, he's sagging, he's got the bandana, you know, like there's so many different just stylistic things that kind of make him look not so much like somebody from decades ago, but but almost like a current artist. Yeah. That just that just that that's a testament to who he is as an artist and as uh uh i like to say culture breaking icon he he transcended the culture he was ahead of his time um you know you still see people today with tattoos you still see people today who are against authority who who stand up for social issues and political issues and stuff like that so you know seeing this renewal in his character is just i guess you know, they say that history repeats itself. So I feel like with this coming on now, we're going to see more and more of his influence and his effect happening with this culture right now that I personally feel that has been missing for a long time. But, you know, I hate that it had to come through this way through, you know, a questionable arrest of this person who's been talking for this long. But, you know, it is what it is. Well, you know, a lot of people talk about Tupac's death, and it's to your point, right? Like the the style, the everything that yeah. he did, like really yeah. resonates people. But like that dude was brilliant, man. Like yeah. I mean, he had like his yeah. order, like talking to people. He was a great actor. Like he was on the verge of becoming like a million, you know, a multi-million dollar actor in Hollywood. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then and then also like I mean, you know, again, I, I mean, I don't think we don't have to talk about like lyrical content or whatever, like his gifts as a as a lyricist, but. People, and I have a friend who's a, a music critic who talks about this, the emotional resonance of his music, like the way that he makes you feel, <laughs> uh, is yeah. very powerful. And the people that are Tupac fans, like real Tupac fans, man, they will fight you over Tupac, man. You know what That's, I mean? I'm going to So I had a lot of a lot of arguments with Pac fans, but... Yeah, of course. Like, and that's, and that's what made him so immense and why we still talk about him nearly 30... 30 years later, you know, you can't, you can't, you can't replace somebody like that. You can't, you can't take somebody out and put them there. Like, I hate when this generation says like, oh, you know, Kendrick Lamar is the next Tupac. Kendrick Lamar is great. He's an icon, but Pac is Pac for a reason. Right. You know? So. 
And then also that said that artistic sensibility, the the, the, mm -hmm. the poet part of him, all of that, and the complexity. I think just this tremendous complexity because you have the on the one hand that that artistic, just that artistic sensibility, and then on the other hand, the whole street thing, the whole black liberation thing, the anti authority you know, anti government thing, where he was from, East Coast and West, you know, coming from California, but he was in New York and and all of that. Charles, let's just say there is a trial, right? If there is a, if if Keefe D somehow decides to go to trial, and some of the other people that are peripheral or involved in this case, or maybe witnesses, or that of course we all want to hear from because they're famous names, can they be? Could they be compelled to testify to show up in court? Heads, right? It, as a prosecutor, you have a couple of. Uh, tricks up your sleeve that you could utilize to kind of compel certain witnesses and whether or not they have, you know, pending charges, you know, against them or not, or, or a current case, uh, you know, or currently incarcerated, you know, there's, there's things a prosecution uh, can do. Uh, the question is what would be, you know, make sure that it's a, something that's going to benefit the case uh, and add to the likelihood of the individual the accused being convicted uh you don't want to you know bring a witness into the into the trial uh that can hurt uh again i i think the strongest piece of evidence is the words out of his own mouth right everything else is fluff you know there's some forensic stuff that is now available now that they can kind of put them at the scene and kind of piecemeal it's almost like a puzzle they can start filling in some pieces you know now that everything is is all together and I think they would be in a pretty good shape to get a conviction in this case. As a defense attorney, you know, again, I'm starting to poke holes. Yeah, you know, didn't have it then. You don't have it now. You know, my client, you know, he's speaking, you know, he like he, like Joe said, he's speaking just for the monetary aspect. You know, the, this is just for kicks and giggles. You can't believe what he said. The evidence doesn't match up. You got no eyewitnesses. You know, get out of here with that and kind of attack the beyond the reasonable doubt standard. You know, so, yeah, I think it would be a, a, a drag out two week trial, you know, winner take all. Uh, but I think you, it would err on the side of uh, the prosecution. Joel, oh, oh, go ahead, Mark. I just wanted to ask, this just came up in my head. Joel, I know you said that when you talked to him, you felt that he had cancer, right? Mm -hmm. Or on the verge of having it. Um, would that be able to hold up in trial, like he's medically unwell to stand fit, would that be something that he could run with as well? You know, I I, I don't know. I think Charles probably be better than that, but I I don't. So he said he had cancer. Then I don't think he has cancer now. That's the thing. You know, so I'm not I'm not sure he looks healthier than he did when he was talking around 2000, 2018, 2019. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm I assume that speaks to his state of mind. Um, his health and everything else. So, like, maybe that could have colored his, his uh, testimony in a manner of speaking, right? Uh, but, uh, what about that? Like, what role would if he really did have cancer? What role does that? What role does that play, if any, in in his defense? Because I mean, we think of like mentally incapacitated, but if he's physically incapacitated, how how would that play into a case? Right. So again, as a prosecutor, you'd be like, well, no, you know, just because you go through cancer doesn't mean you know, in fact, you might be more willing to to, uh, you know, provide information, right? Because you think you're impending death. In fact, that's one of the exceptions under uh, 
hearsay. It's a you know, there's a hearsay exception that says uh, pending death. So a person actually believed uh, they were you know subject to die or or you know death was imminent. Those statements technically normally would come in, uh, even though they're out of court statements. But here, statements by a person themselves, the admission. Uh, prosecutor is going to try to, you know, air and argue that, no, that this didn't affect his mental uh, capacity. This simply was a, you know, uh, a physical thing. And therefore, the statement should come in. But from a defense standpoint, you're going to make the argument, well, no, the the physical impacted the mental, you know, and therefore the statement should not uh, be admissible. And court, Joel, from from all the the interviews that you've done, the research, the files that you've sifted through uh, over these years, putting together the the podcast, why are the murders of Biggie and Tupac so inextricably linked? Well, I mean, I mean, it all starts back with uh, the shooting in New York in 1994 at Quad Studios, right? Um, when Tupac is going to show up to do a freestyle, he runs into some of he runs into Biggie and some of the members of Junior Mafia. He's on his way upstairs to re- go into the re- to record with them. And then he gets, you know, shot. And he gets shot in, in the lobby of this hotel. And right after that, Tupac says, hey, Biggie and Puffy must have had something to do with this. And so that's why they're lying, you know, because that they were actually friends. Tupac helped uh, Biggie promote his album out on, in California and L.A. and everything like they hung out together. They were real cool. Like they've done they've done interviews together. They showed a lot of affection for each other. But that incident right there is sort of where the, the divide takes place, right? Like that's where you can see the shifting and the relationships, not only between Biggie and Pac, but also uh, Death Row, Bad Boy, East Coast, West Coast, right? And it only gets nastier from there. So people sort of lined up on each side of it and Biggie and, and Biggie and, and Biggie and Puffy were sort of caught up in this. And they said, hey, look, we had nothing to do with this. We've never been involved in this. Why would we shoot you? It doesn't even make any sense. Um, and there are a lot of people that have, you know, their theories about why Tupac believes that, right? Um, whether it was Biggie was jealous of Tupac, whether, you know, whatever, I don't know. You know, I mean, you know, but there's a lot of other, there's a lot of reasons that Tupac, for whatever reason, believe. Now, keep in mind, Tupac had been shot, man. He was very paranoid. He was going through his own trouble. At that time, he was on his way to prison on a sexual assault charge. Right. He had a lot of stuff going on at the same time, uh, at, at that same time. So um, that's why these, these, these guys are, inextricably linked, uh, you know, starting in 1993, going on to the day, because, you know, uh, Tupac made it so. He, he he wanted that. He wanted he wanted people to know that Biggie and Puffy had done him wrong. And, you know, that's always sort of driven the coverage ever since then, even though it doesn't quite seem like that energy was quite the same from Biggie and Puffy. But uh, I guess we'll find out a lot more if Keefe D, if if D's allegations have some merit to them and we're going to hear it out we're going to find out how much you know puppy and bad boy had to do with any of this if it, anything at all exactly uh, mark mark when you when you look at this whole when you look at this case you know both biggie and tupac uh, but especially tupac you, you look at these these mur- murders and then in light of what we've seen happening you know in hip-hop recently with, with with some of the losses that we that we've gone through do you how do you feel about that um I'm pretty much indifferent because it's always going to happen. You know, there's there's no like I said earlier, I feel like, you know, this arrest is, you know, there's answers being had. But there's also more questions than anything like what happened, you know, whatever. How did Biggie die? Okay, cool. Now it's just it's just way more questions now. And 
it makes me think like, are we really ever going to get to the problem of why so many of our artists and celebrities, rappers are dying so young? You know, like that, that's really my main concern. We're losing all these great people from, you know, Biggie to Pac to Big L, Jam Master J, Young Dolph, all these other people. We're right. losing many of them. This this hustle, I mean, look at, right. Look, yeah, it, it, pop smoke. Yeah, right. it has to stop. It, it, this has to stop because, you know, again, I was five years old when uh, Pac died. I was six when Biggie died. Biggie was one of my favorite artists of all time. When he passed away, I remember crying and be like, oh, my God, my hero is dead and stuff like that. Um, and then now you're seeing that with this generation, like New York is still reeling from Pop Smoke's death. And that happened way back in 2020. Yeah. So it's like, you know, we're doing these investigations. We, we're trying to figure out what's going on. But let's really find the answer to this problem that's plaguing us so bad. And not only in the music industry, it's happening in the streets as well, where People are getting killed and nobody's helping or solving it because of this whole no snitching. Well, Mark, like, you got to figure it out. You know, don't you, think, oh, don't, well, don't you think a piece of this also is that, like, I mean, a lot of these dudes up on the streets, man. A lot of the guys, remember, like, it's like, it's sort of, it's not, you can't really divorce hip hop from these dudes on the streets because a lot of times, dudes from the streets, this is their way into, you know, uh, making legal money and doing something, you know, taking it to another level. And so I mean, it's really hard, you know. I mean, a lot of these guys, a lot of their credibility is built on the things they did in the streets. I mean, just because you get, become famous, it doesn't mean that all that street work goes away, right? True. No, no, not ab absolutely. I mean, hip hop came from the streets. The culture, the the newest, the newest artists are are still out on the streets. But a lot of them, as soon as they get that money, as soon as they get get a way to get out, they they try they try to get out. And then you look look at Pop Smoke with all the success he was on the verge of, kind of a you know once in a ten year type of breakout. Into, into stardom and then it ends up with a robbery and a shooting that uh that may have been gang related mark in terms of your your favorite pop songs i'm going to end on a positive note here with the focusing on the music and the and the creativity as a as a new pop fan what what are some of your favorites oh man there's so many there's um hit em up there's hail mary it, oh it's crazy i say hit em up because i'm a biggie fan but hit em up uh <laughs> two of america's most wanted mary uh how do you want it California Love, Dear Mama is a great song. Around of course, the classic. It's just so many that you can name from. Pox, Pox, Pox catalog is just incredible. And it's it's amazing to see that it has still withstood the test of time and people are still listening to it. Um, you know, I want to I want to say, like, I hope that, you know, this renewal in the case and Keefe D getting arrested doesn't get lost in the negativity that could come from the press and people talking about what's going on and stuff like that. And I just hope that it brings more like praise for who Pac was and understanding who he is and knowing his history, knowing the relationship he had with his mom. And, you know, I just found out the other day that he wanted to do Death Row East. I didn't even know that. So that just blew my mind that he had a whole album ready to go and then he ended up getting taken out. So I just hope that this period stays positive and doesn't go the that press route where it's like all these stories are coming out and all this coverage is coming out. And it's like, why are we talking about that? We're finally getting closure on this. So let's do it the right way. Okay. Well, on that note, uh, thank you guys for being with us uh, for this episode of Street Soldiers, Mark Ellibert, uh, Charles Tucker Jr., Joel Anderson. Guys, thank you so much for uh, helping us work our way through this and kind of understand it and also appreciate and recognize the artistry, the, the, the timeless artistry, really. 
of, of Tupac. So thank you so much. And uh, to we continue, thank you for joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. Remember, use your mind. It's your best weapon. Let's push for peace, love, and justice for all.